Good morning. Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. O risen Christ, open us to the power of your resurrection as we hear it proclaimed anew this day, that we too might rise to new life in you. Amen. Our scripture today is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. That seem to block our way when we think about our next step in our faith journey with Christ. The image comes from the uh, boulder that was in front of the tomb where Jesus was buried and that the, the women came out to prepare the body and they were worried about how they'd move that stone. In some ways, we approach these questions with that same worry. How will I overcome the question, what if love fails? Or what if hope isn't enough? What if I'm overwhelmed? What if I have to change? And what if I can't do this alone? These are questions no one says out loud, but all of us carry in our hearts. We all wonder whether these questions, how these questions are answered in our lives. I'm a basketball fan. Um, this is something you already know. Um, love uh, ACC basketball. Uh, enjoy the opportunity to watch folk come out of ACC, out of uh, Carolina and Duke and North Carolina State, uh, and make it into the pros. Of course, one of those ACC names that everyone knows is Michael Jordan, right? Good old Tar Heel player, right? Um, became kind of the uh, epitome, the, the Rembrandt, if you will, uh, of basketball. Out of Jordan's six NBA championships, there's one that uh, stands out in my mind. Um, at the end of uh, defeating um, their opponent, Jordan and the Bulls um, very quickly uh, made um, uh, made mincemeat uh, of their opponents. Uh, at the last shot that Jordan had made, uh, the winning shot of the game as the buzzer goes off, the team erupts with joy, the fans rush the court, the news journalists are there asking questions, and, and in the midst of all of the excitement and hubbub around the team, if you looked closely, you found Michael Jordan the most amazing player in basketball, on the floor of the court, under the basket, crying and weeping. You'd think that uh, the journalists would run to where he was, that the team would uh, come around him and ask him how he is, but everybody knew why Michael was crying. It was the first championship that his father was not at. His father had been gunned down in his car at a rest stop on the side of the highway uh, a few years before in North Carolina. 
very unassuming uh, murder. It was a, um, a kind of a senseless crime, if you will. And so Michael Jordan, the man who literally had everything all the way down to shoes named after him, laid underneath the basket after winning one of six national championships, crying. You see, you can have everything, but if you don't have someone to share it with, what is it worth? We look at our scripture passage today. Uh, Jesus says some very interesting words. We, we call this the Great Commission. Uh, he gathers the 11 disciples together on a mountain in Galilee. Um, what mountain? We're not sure. But uh, in terms of Galilee, this was his childhood home. This was where he grew up. This was the place where he spent his ministry, was there in Galilee. So he goes back home and gathers the disciples together. This is after Easter, this is, the ascend, um, this is the resurrected Christ. And as he gathers them together, um, Matthew makes sure that we know that the disciples worshiped him, bowed down and worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, if you wanted to get into, you know, Greek word study, um, you could say that the doubt was more of a hesitation. But I don't know, I have to be honest, I might hesitate too if here I was having watched Jesus die on the cross, my teacher and master, see him buried and rose again, not a ghost, right? But a resurrected Jesus, who then hangs out for 40 days, forgiving us, loving us, and showing us how to tell the story. But I don't know, I might hesitate, would you? It's a strange place to be. In the midst of salvation history, we have uh, stories of Elijah uh, being taken up into heaven. We have stories of Lazarus being raised from the dead. But this is a place where no one has been. I'm afraid I might hesitate too. Scripture says then that Jesus uh, spoke to them, said, all authority has been given to me in earth and on heaven, and go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is interesting, right? All authority has been given to me, and I'm giving it to you. And I want you to go uh, to uh, everyone, right? The, uh, go to all nations. That's a nice phrase. Ethne is the Greek. Ethne could be uh, everyone. Uh, ethne could be um, kind of letting... Um, the barriers go away. There's a place in the gospel where uh, Jesus says, uh, there in Matthew chapter 10, says, don't go among the Gentiles and don't go into any Samaritan cities, just go to the Jews. Jesus is reversing that right now, saying, all right, you can go anywhere. Go see everyone. Go make disciples. I think it's interesting that he says, go make disciples. He doesn't say, go make members. He doesn't say, go make giving units. Right? I, no one refers to them that way here, right? He says, go make disciples. And he says very clearly, uh, teaching them everything that I have taught you and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. 
Would, would you be surprised that theologians and, and uh, biblical scholars love to talk about what kind of authority Jesus was giving us? They love to talk about who among the nations Jesus was sending us to. They love to argue about whether the Trinity was a true concept in that moment when Matthew is writing it. Would Jesus know to say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? We don't see it anywhere else. But no one spends a whole lot of time on that phrase, lo, I will be with you even to the ends of the age. What is it like to have Jesus present with us? Oh, the scholars love to talk about what does it mean to obey. They love to talk about exactly what kind of obeying we should do and which rules and laws we should obey and how best we can be right in the presence of God. Sure sounds like a Pharisee's approach to faith in Jesus. You get all those rules right, all those laws, be sure to cross your T and dot your I. You know, when Jesus talks to the woman at the well, does he ask, you know, show me your papers? No, he says, I, I know who you are. And I know that, that you've been married, not once, but three times. And I know that the man that you're living with now is not your husband. Right? It's amazing that scholars would love to make sure that we obey in the right way, but they don't spend time talking about how Jesus will not leave us orphaned or forsaken or alone. I found it really enjoyable um, to laugh at Facebook. Um, I, uh, there's a, um, a clergy uh, Facebook uh, area um, that's um, private. It's um, like, you know, only clergy allowed, right? Um, so we can ask all those questions we really don't know what to do with, um, and we don't want y'all to hear about them, um, you know, there, right? Um, and so one colleague asked, what do you say to someone who says, God never gives you anything more than you can handle. One response was, laugh at them. <laughs> Another response was, I've had a lot, and I don't think God was the one that gave it to me, but God certainly did support me while I went through it. Right, what does it mean to talk about God being present to us, not in some kind of creepy Enderman kind of way, not in some strange, um, you know, doo -doo 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 twilight zone, but what is it like to know that the presence of God is ours? So um, uh, there's a sociologist, Eric Kleinenberg, who wrote a book about living alone. It's called Going Solo. Uh, this is the new trend, um, going solo, that if you have enough money, you live alone. Whether you're married or not, as you become an adult, you choose to live alone. It's going solo. You can choose when you wake, when you sleep, what you eat, when you exercise. It is all your time. Now, if you think this is really strange because you don't live alone, that's okay. Because usually in our families, we are beginning to train people to be going solo already. How many of you with children sit in the same room, but each have your own screen? I mean, like, is it, like, I, I love, you go to the, the restaurant, right? And the family with two teenagers, everybody's got their screen. I love it, you go to Chili's, they give you a screen, right? I mean, hey, you don't have to worry about having your own screen, we'll give you one. So this idea of going solo, the idea of we are physically present to each other, but we are mentally someplace else, whether you're playing Farmville or um, uh, what's the quiz one that I always lose at? And usually it's y'all that are beating me. 
right? Or whether you're uh, gazing longingly at the Facebook lives of others, right? We're all in the same room, but we are not all together. Going solo, going solo has become the new trend. But sociologists have come to understand that going solo only increases our sense that we are the center of the universe. If I live alone, when I eat, sleep, brush my teeth, and exercise, I must ask the leave of no one. I do exactly as I please. I don't have to get up at night to help a sick roommate or a spouse or child. I don't have to get up in the night to help uh, other people to fetch a glass of water or to get an extra blanket to stave off the chills of someone else. My schedule is my own and my life is arranged so that I need to defer to no one. To no one. One could say that if you're a properly going solo, you might even feel like you don't have to answer to God. You're the center of the universe. But in the church, we have ways of combating going solo, right? Imagine worshiping alone. I have a strong argument that you may do devotional time and you may sing and you may worship God on your own, but it is all devotion. It is only worship until we gather as a community. I mean, imagine if you were worshiping alone in this space, you would sit and listen as you ran to the piano to play the opening prelude. And then you would run to the pulpit to say the opening prayer. And you'd sit back down to hear it, but then you'd have to run to do the anthem for the choir. And then read your own scripture, preach your own sermon, and respond to it in the pews as well. And be sure to be an usher, because people really feel welcome when the usher greets them. You cannot worship alone. And the God that we worship is not alone God's self, right? We refer to Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. Apparently community was so important that God made sure that God was a community. Now we often say Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but you could also say the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sustainer. Or you could say the Lover, the Beloved, and the love that binds them together. Or maybe the Dancer, the Partner, and the music of the dance. What if I can't do it alone? That's a great answer. We don't have to, for God is present with us. We can even begin to think about the church itself as not a lonely experience. We talk about the communion of the saints. We talk about the great cloud of witnesses. We recognize that we grieve for the loss of others, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope, but rather we know that that great cloud of witnesses is cheering us on, encouraging to run the race so that we might win the crown of glory. We are not alone. I'm reminded that Martin Luther, the kind of beginner of the Protestant Reformation, that when he was terrified, when he was unsure of what the future might bring, uh, particularly when he was caught in an open field in the midst of a very violent thunderstorm with lightning, that he would reach up and touch his head and remember that he was baptized, that he was an adopted child of the king. 
You see, he touched his head because that is where the waters of baptism first touched him, where he was no longer left alone, but he was adopted into the community, cared for by a loving God. What is it like for us to remember that we are never alone? You know, living in a world of going solo, means that we have to intentionally do small acts of community. We have to be intentional. This is kind of a high expectations piece, right? When someone on your pew goes missing, don't just hope that they come back next week, or worse, move on over because you always wanted the aisle. Um, But instead, (laughs) small acts of loving care. Not a phone call that says, where are you? Are you off sinning? But no, invite them and welcome them back so that we might be a community. I was reading about an interview with Sarah Shroud. She's a young college, American college student uh, who was arrested and imprisoned in Iran. Uh, Her group was uh, um, hiking um, uh, close to the border uh, of Iran and um, got imprisoned. She was separated from her other uh, American hikers and placed in a female prison uh, in a cell all by herself. And she remembers saying that during that confinement, she was distraught and sad and often would wail and cry out loud in her cell alone. It's easy to say that she was probably the only American in that that, uh, prison, but she began to hear when she would begin to cry, someone in the, in the prison would sing songs in English to her. Iranian women who were arrested for uh, injustice, persecution, uh, or whatever, not being good to the state, would think of the few English words they knew and sing them to her. After a time, they were able to put together the sentence, we love you, Sarah, and you're not alone. What an amazing thing for Sarah to feel the presence of others who love her in small and quiet ways of similar persecuted women of different language comforting her. What if we can't do this alone? Thanks be to God, we are not left alone. Thanks be to God that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, that we are uh, a community worshiping together with bumps and bruises and strengths and weaknesses, and that we worship a God who believes community is so important, that God is not a lone judge, alone in the heights of heaven, looking down, zapping a few people just for fun, but rather God is the dancer, the partner, and the music of life that propels the dance forward. If you feel alone, maybe it's time to reach up and touch your forehead and to remember that you are adopted. If you feel alone, maybe it's time to come back to church and to be surrounded by others. If you're alone, cry out to the God who is community, who will lift you up and be your support, for we are never alone. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.
Friends, Chapelwood United Methodist Church exists to help ourselves and others take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. My hope is that you've heard today that those steps are not taken alone. Even if you head out on your own, God is committed to be present with us. I do hope that you will um, feel called to be a part of uh, maybe the brainstorming that we're doing um, tomorrow night at Diane Hill's house. It's an open uh, brainstorming conversation. We'll be looking at what themes and what stories should we tackle in worship uh, between July and December. Um, if you have found uh, worship to be wonderful or even not wonderful over the last couple of months, here's your chance to come and be a part of the community as we dream where God's leading us uh, in worship. There was one other Red, next Sunday is Pentecost. Would love for you to wear red um, as a sign of the movement of the Spirit. Um, don't worry, you won't be alone. We'll all be wearing red. Um, and what a great way uh, to be in worship together. Um, for now, let's, uh, if, if today's the day that you would like to join this congregation, if you feel like uh, this is the place to make a spiritual home, come on down and talk to one of the pastors and we will plan for the time when you'll join the congregation. But for now, why don't we join together in our closing hymn, David Hill will lead us and we have a story to tell to the nations. It'll be on page 569 in your hymnals. I'm going to invite Jeremy Bass to join me uh, in the back. Jeremy is our college pastoral intern. Uh, we're excited to have him. Uh, the annual conference has sent him to us for 10 weeks. We will be a good steward of this gift, right? Um, he'll be uh, learning about all of pastoral ministry. Uh, you'll have a chance to see him in Sunday school and worship. Um, he'll be, um, I think the, it's, it's, not the, it's not the most non-condescending way to refer to it, but for the first couple of weeks, he's just going to shadow me, right? So when you see him. Welcome him. He's one of us, all right? Uh, but we're going to walk to the back. If you'll grab hands for our closing benediction, um, uh, you'll, you can greet Jeremy and me in the back uh, of the church. Almighty God, we give thanks that you have all authority in heaven and on earth, and you choose to use that authority to be with us always as we head out into the world to make disciples in your name. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.